0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Sophie Ross, Global CEO of Technology at FTI Consulting. Sophie has more than 20 years of experience in operations in the USA, Europe, and Asia, and specializes in helping clients manage their overall e-discovery and review through predictable pricing models and by simplifying the multi-layers of discovery management. Sophie joined FDI Consulting through its 2008 acquisition of Strategic Discovery, where she served as the Chief Operating Officer and was responsible for data processing, IT and client support, Human Resources Administration, and Accounting. Earlier in her career, she was EVP of Global Delivery and Operations at Free Borders, an application outsourcing and software firm. Sophie has served in the Israeli Naval Intelligence, grew up and was schooled in several European countries, and is fluent in four languages. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Engineering from Tel Aviv University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Sophie Ross, welcome into the corner office.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with everyone.
0: Wonderful to have you here. And we we talked several months ago. We both have very busy schedules. And so I'm glad on this uh, last day of the quarter in September, we've had a chance to uh, to chat. This will, of course, will be coming out a little bit later. Uh, but let's start at the beginning. Uh, I know that uh, you went to school in Israel and would love to hear a little bit about your early life. Uh, tell us where you grew up and what that early family life was like.
1: Um, yeah, so would love to. So I was born in Israel. I grew up in different countries. My my father and my parents uh, moved every few years. My father was a diplomat. All um, oh,
0: right. So were they both Israeli, or were they um, immigrants to Israel recently? So uh,
1: my dad was from Israel. My mother uh, right. is from Europe, from uh, Portugal yeah. and France. So yeah, cool. combination. <laughs> Yeah. And um, and then I ended up uh, living in different countries in Europe, uh, growing up, uh, did, did right. my baccalaureate in Paris and then went back to Israel uh, for the military service and for my undergrad. Yeah. So that was kind of the journey. I think what was interesting during those days, you know, pre-internet, uh, as, a, right. as a child moving every three years from countries to wow. different you know different languages, different school systems, um, is really that notion of, uh, you know, we talk a lot about diversity today. We talk a lot about different perspectives. I think I, mm. I was experiencing it at, a, at a very early age. Um, and I think that's maybe what, what, you know, shapes yeah. you as a, as an individual later on. I mean, the ability to adapt, the ability to look at things from different angles, uh, just kind of fast forwarding to where we are today.
0: Yeah. Were you an only child, brothers and sisters growing up? I have
1: two brothers. I'm the oldest. <laughs>
0: two brothers. Wow. So you were all moving around. That's yes. incredible. And and languages learned along the way?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, several languages. Obviously, yeah. uh, mother tongue is Hebrew and French, and then yeah. other languages with English, uh, Italian, a little bit of German, you know. And I lived in countries such as Romania, Greece, wow. um, uh, Belgium and France. So definitely different
0: systems, different languages. And your dad, I assume was at the Israeli mission at each of those locations. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what moved you around? Right. And, and how was that? I mean, obviously you had to switch schools a lot, kind of hard to keep friends. Uh, did it make you kind of more cohesive as a family unit? Did you keep in touch with friends that you made along the way? Was that difficult for you in some ways?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's a really good question, especially, you know, given that I'm also a parent. So you have a different perspective later on yeah. when, when you look at it and you realize first how much my parents uh, were involved and made sure that we were as comfortable and prepared as possible uh, before right. we arrived to a new place. But yes, I mean, you have to make new friends. Uh, typically, again, this is pre-internet, so you really can only yeah. keep in touch very closely with you may be two friends, uh, when you leave, right. I mean, later on in life, you know, high school, that's a little bit easier, but especially when you're younger and have pen pals during those days. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you learn, you learn how to adapt, how to, uh, how to fit, um, how to be different, <laughs> you know, right, that kind of combination. Right. Um, I feel fortunate. I made some good friends along the way, uh, learned mm. quite a bit, um, and, and always try to take that kind of positive attitude of, um, you know, it's okay to be different. Um, yeah. and, um, and, uh, really kind of learning from one place and, and, taking it to, to the next. So, you know, I feel like, um, you know, so from that perspective, um, it was a great experience. I think as a child, you know, every time you come to a new school and you have, yeah. um, you know, even just take math as an example, every, every, system, every country has a different pace. So sometimes you're right. ahead and sometimes you're behind. So yeah. you always have to, yeah. <sighs> uh, to, to, kind of, um, uh, fill that gap. Um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, it did require a lot of hard work. and, so, you know, it wasn't like yeah. you could just coast that's for sure. You had right. to, to make right. it happen. Uh, but I feel very fortunate, uh, in that way. Um,
0: were you in private schools? Did the um, embassy have schools that you attended? Did you attend public schools? Or was it kind of a mixed match depending on where you were?
1: So it was mixed. And and, and I yeah. was in some schools. My brothers were in other schools. We had different preferences
0: right, <laughs> right,
1: as well. Sure. So it was interesting uh, in that way. Um, you know, uh, several of the schools were international schools so that at least I can, uh, uh, most of the time, Study in either English or French, um, sure. or German, or, you know, in, in, uh, in the early days in, in Romania, it was in German. Um, wow. so, uh, kind of some combination. Um, so most of the time it was international, which means that you actually get to meet, um, kids from different places.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Into the diversity mm-hmm. of it. Were you a good student?
1: So it's interesting also when you ask this and as a parent, you know, what is it? What does it mean to be a good <laughs> student in yes, <laughs> today's world and what actually makes one successful? So uh, right. what I will say is I gravitated a lot uh, towards math and the sciences because it was a universal language that was kind yeah. of that constant yeah. across all these places and locations um, right. with some of the other elements changing, like history in one place was different, the geography, et cetera. So you can imagine. Um, and uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, just just looking at I feel like I was really fortunate um, in that way that I, I got to experience those different uh, uh, topics in those different sure. uh, uh, locations and bring that context into the new place. So in some ways, right, I was right. quite uh, I had a different perspective in class, I will say. Um, for, for well, other, I guess
0: with the sciences and maths, it mm-hmm. the, the was probably a lot more similarity, right, Correct. as you went across different locations had you been, you know, well, I'm sure you studied languages as well. But, you know, history and a lot of the social sciences would really have probably much of a different curriculum depending on where you learned. Yeah,
1: it. totally different, which was yeah, yeah. obviously very interesting and, uh, right. and informative, but it wasn't consistent or there wasn't an evolution, a consistent yeah. evolution from right. one right. Uh, from one right. to the other.
0: What about outside of school? Were there activities that you pursued, sports, you know, theater, music, things that you enjoyed uh, beyond your studies?
1: Yeah, so loved playing the piano when I was, uh, you know, all along Mm. until uh, my baccalaureate. Didn't get as much the opportunity to play after, you know, when I was in college and all that. But music is a big piece. It's still a big piece in our family. Uh, one of my sons right. is is a musician so i love walking into the house and hearing the music every uh, day um, right, and then right. and then art and painting i mean that's one thing that uh. i hope to pick up again when i retire who knows when but yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And so you returned to uh, to Israel for your undergrad and, and studying engineering from what I gather. Was that kind of always part of your plan uh, or did just dad's assignment lead you back there? Or did you kind of feel a calling to return to Israel and, and do your university studies there, at least the first part of it?
1: Yeah, so that's also uh, a really good question. So. Uh, despite the fact that I didn't grow up there from 2 to 18, basically, yeah, um, yeah. I, I had to do the military service regardless, as my, my father was. Yeah, to keep yeah. your nationality. So, yeah, um, right. so that was mandatory. I went back for, uh, for that. Um, and
0: you did that before university, yes, is that right? Yes, typically. You do okay, that at 18. You do that yeah. after high school. Um, yeah, right,
1: right after right. high school. Um, yeah. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I was gravitating towards the science, sciences. And in sure. Israel, the sciences are quite strong. Um, right. so when I was looking at, you know, what schools to go to and, and some of the options, um, you know, I was either going to go and focus in mathematics or engineering, et cetera, and then ended up picking, uh, engineering. Um, you know, I suppose it seemed more practical at the time. <laughs> right.
0: well it probably came easier for yeah. you too, right? Given your interest in maths and sciences earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and uh, was it a four-year degree, a two-year degree? How, how did yeah,
1: it's a four-year degree. And four the one degree, thing I will right. tell you, you know, sitting there, um, you know, as a first-year student, we were only four women. Four women that entire wow, first year. That I still remember. Um, wow. So, <laughs> you know, today it's different. And it's good yeah. that it's different. Um, but it was interesting in that
0: way. Right. And then, uh, went to work right away, uh, coming out of Tel Aviv University. I know you went on to Harvard and got your MBA. Were those back to back or was there some work in between?
1: Yeah. So there was work in between, there was also work during. So the entire time that that I was, um, at university as well, I, I, I worked, um, you know, there was a consulting firm, um, a local consulting firm that I worked for during those times. And then after, um, Uh, after engineering school i worked for a company by the name of cytext uh that then was bought by hp so you know in Mm -hmm. those days you had big plotters and then the first individual printer with a ps2 um that was the i was product manager for that uh and the company like i said was bought by hp and then some of the printing lines and printers that hp uh, has in technology that comes from there um so i did work in between and then uh I suppose along the way, given that I uh, you know, experienced those different countries, different places, I thought right. about um, going to the U.S. and ending up here in the yeah. U.S. and having an experience here. And, and, and through the MBA, that was a good way to, uh, to get started here.
0: So how many years in between from the time you got your engineering degree before you went back for an MBA?
1: Um, I think it was about three years.
0: About three mm-hmm. years, so a couple of jobs yeah. in between there. Yeah, great. When did you first start managing people?
1: I think early on, even in the military. Yeah. You know, oh,
0: of course. Yes. Yeah, um, right. So
1: I suppose early on in that way, um, yeah. and uh, and I think I, you know, you evolve your style with time, and That's true. Uh, and
0: uh, what did you learn in those early years? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, here's, here's the interesting thing. So I, so the one thing about, um, the military in Israel is that everybody has to go to the military. So right. you yeah. end up meeting and working and interacting with individuals that potentially you would have never met, um, in, in the norm. cause even in the U S when people yeah. go to college, it's, it's almost, you know, there's a selection process. There's a whole, sure. you know, and you really get to learn how to work together, interact, motivate, mm. collaborate, um, yeah. with individuals that may be quite different and have, have different kind of goals and, and things like that. So I, I will say that piece of it, um, I took with me, um, quite a long, right. quite a long way. Um, so I've yeah. learned quite a bit in, in, in that context. Um, yeah. you know, like I think from the early days, I always take the positive approach, um, uh, meaning that I try to, I think the best way to manage. Uh, a team or or manage individuals is really understanding what they're trying to achieve, how that fits with what Mm. we're trying to achieve and through motivation, you know, the goals need to be aligned. It needs to be exciting at the the same time challenging. You know, we all have to be accountable to and give the tools to the individuals. Uh, And it's different tools, depending on the levels, depending on what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, to make it happen. And when uh, there's an yeah. issue, help solve it. So that kind of mindset, you can apply differently, depending on whether you're managing an executive team or managing a small project team, uh, but the same right. kind of concepts uh, along the way.
0: Yeah, makes good sense. Following your MBA at Harvard, uh, did you go back into engineering jobs or right into consulting? Tell us a little bit about your career path post your MBA.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, So, you know, I I wanted to try something different. I I worked uh, for the Boston Consulting Group, then decided that I I Mm -hmm. was interested in something uh, entrepreneurial. Um, So I worked for Free Borders that was bought that by Symbio uh, with Free Borders, um, Uh, we, uh, this was a company that was doing application outsourcing. We had over uh, 500 folks in places like China, U S and Europe, um, venture backed. So that was kind of that entrepreneurial, uh, experience. Um, and then, uh, after that, I stumbled into the current industry, um, and joined strategic discovery as chief operating officers. And, and we were, uh, three executives, you know, growing and running the company, um and eventually uh we ended up uh selling strategic discovery to FTI consulting. So that's how I ended up oh, here. Okay, got yeah. so that's
0: how you end up there. All right. Yeah. So you've you've pretty much been in the same place for over twenty five years.
1: Oh I would well um no, year. not exactly. About, fi-
0: about fifteen <laughs> yes. years. So I, I got my math wrong there. No. <laughs> I apologize, Sophie. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. So yeah. so so they were they were uh purchased fairly early on after you joined? Or did it come, you know, later on after you were at Strategic Discovery?
1: You know, around a couple of years or so. A yeah, couple of years into
0: it. Yeah. yeah. Got it. And how has the business transformed during that time? Have Have you pretty much operated the same practice uh, in that job? Or is it, you know, and now with FTI, a much different role, given what you were doing before with Strategic Discovery?
1: It's definitely evolved. It's evolved for, for a couple yeah. of reasons. First of all, you know, my career has evolved and also, our industry has evolved. So, you know, right. um, when you look at the work that we uh, we did um, at the time, it uh, was really focused on what we call e-discovery. It's really a mm. lot of it was analysis of, of emails, um, sometimes paper documents for the discovery process, right? You know, whether it's litigation, investigation, et cetera. Right. We fast right. forward to today, we actually work with clients. We help clients manage their data in the context of compliance and risk. So um that includes e-discovery but it c- includes information governance privacy security uh it includes compliance risk contract analysis so it's much wider and also the type of work that we do involves antitrust investigation mm. litigation uh pre post M&A so it is a little bit more um much wider and you can imagine the type of data we're Sure. Definitely past the email stage with uh, collaboration platforms. Yes, <laughs> social media, yes. Yeah. Social right. media and right. collaboration platforms um, being in the forefront. So, first of all, the yeah. industry has changed. Uh, the business today is also much more global. So that's another piece of right. it. Um, you know, we have locations in India, Dubai, all over Asia, like you know, China, Japan, Singapore, and Australia. Brazil, uh, Canada, all the Americas, mm. and in Europe and Ireland, Spain, France, Germany, UK. So it's a whole different footprint yeah. um, right. than a few right. years ago. And then from a career perspective, you know, I joined here. I was responsible uh, for the integration uh, and then um, try to figure, you know, how do I fit now in this larger organization? Um and decided to kind of put a business plan together, suggested an area for us to uh, set up and invest and um, grew that area uh, for FTI, built that business, mm. uh, then was also responsible for the Western region. And then took on as uh, uh, the CEO of FTI technology around uh, four or five years ago.
0: Right, right. Now, uh, so are you overseeing all those global operations, all those countries you Mm -hmm. mentioned? You have offices in those locations. Fantastic. How big is your group? So, yeah,
1: so we have, um, you know, I would say uh, around 550 uh, people globally uh, that work full time. We have, you know, kind of a, a range between 600 to 800 Uh, employees um, that work, you know, also employees of FTI, but then would they work as needed depending on the projects? Um, Mm -hmm. So that combination across that footprint.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And uh, when we spoke a couple of months ago, one of the things I was so impressed about is how diverse your management team is. Tell us a little bit about how you got there.
1: Yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's a combination of individuals um, that started their careers at FTI and, and are now in the management team, individuals right. that I knew from the industry, um, mm-hmm. and uh, even one of my partners from Strategic Discovery who came back. <laughs> so that was, you know, nice. he left and then came back, which was really exciting. Yeah. And then a few folks that we hired, um, you know, we knew that they were very successful. So, you know, it takes a while to put a management team together. Uh, I feel very fortunate we have a really strong management team and there's a combination of, again, the diverse perspectives and the skill sets, you know, some are focused more on the marketing and sales, other on our services and technology, other on the consulting. So they have those different mm. areas of expertise and they really give some interesting perspectives. We also, I also have management that's, you know, head of Asia, head of EMEA, so kind of the global right. aspect as well. So I do think that... Um, in order to be able to to uh, really run a business well, you have to make sure that you have as best of the a, of a management team as, as you can. Obviously, it's sometimes yeah. easier said than done, but I will say that uh, I feel fortunate in, in that way.
0: Yeah. You mentioned um, back at... Um At Tel Aviv University, you were only four or five engineering students. Did you have mentors along the way? Were there folks that, you know, helped guided you, helped to guide you in your career path and, you know, give you opportunities as you grew? Or, um, you know, were you kind of cutting a trail, you know, more trailblazing on your own?
1: So I think, so I think it's a combination. I don't know if it's always individual. Sometimes it's the experiences like some that I mentioned earlier, just the, the, the ability to come to a new place, figure out the, the, you know, the, the environment and, and, um, try to make a difference. You know, I think that piece right. of it is something that I had to do many times as a, as a child in that context and then took that <laughs> right, with me. Right. So I think that's one piece. Yeah. Um, along the way, later on, uh, actually when I got to the U.S., I mean, there are two, uh, individuals who served, um, as my mentors. One, um, I work with in the context of the venture capital uh, setting, and he was he mm-hmm. in um, in venture capital. He now retired since, uh, but was you know very involved with a lot of uh, startups and on various boards. Um, he has been a great mentor along the way, giving advice uh, in different uh, contexts. So I really, um, I really think that was one of my uh, strongest yeah. mentorship uh, uh, relationships. Yeah. And then uh, I have an ex colleague. He also switched industries since, but earlier on, um, when I was in this industry was, was really a strong mentor. And I will also mm. say he was very much, um, you know, uh, he also supported, uh, the advancement of women. Um, so I right. think that was part of, uh, of that as well. So I'm very yeah. fortunate to, to have had, um, you know, to have worked with him and then, uh, have had him as a mentor.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Have you been mentoring others as well? Have you found that to be something that's been important in terms of, you know, kind of developing maybe just not people inside the organization, but but also outside as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. So as you know, as I mentioned, yeah. the two mentors I had were actually male. And, you know, when, when I, you know, was able to to start helping others i thought that it would be very very important i think um mm-hmm. so everything from earlier on um women that were on my team or um uh uh you know every year uh some of them now are quite senior, <laughs> which is very right. nice to see. Um, yeah. and that is something that I've always been very committed to. And I think it's really important. Yeah. And I think there are different, uh, roles of mentors. Um, mm. you know, there's some mentors that can really help you guide you along the way on a more regular basis. Um, right. there are mentors that really can be sounding boards in your industry. Um, And so we have like group of women, um, that I know from the industry that, that kind of, um, meet and, and, and talk about advancing also, um, our, our cause in the industry. Um, and, um, yeah, so I think it's that kind of combination. Um, and then you have advocates. It's important. Sometimes it's not necessarily someone that is as close or that you speak with as often, uh, but that knows you well enough, respects the work that you do. It can be your advocate. It can be around the table right. when, when people are talking about promotion. It can be, um, you know, opening doors, uh, introduce, introducing you to individuals. I think that is important as well. So I think there are different yeah. forms, um, and I try to play that role in, in, in different ways for um, for folks, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you've you've grown up in 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 both a discipline and an industry that's been fairly male focused over the years, right? Engineering, of course, and, and of course, c- consulting as well. Although I think that's changed probably more rapidly than engineering has. What have you seen, kind of, in differences as it relates to leadership between the genders? You know, is is it is it that different still today, or do you think that we've kind of come to a point now where you know there is just so much more of the the blindness. I guess, to gender is the best way to say it, uh, in, in terms of how both you lead as well as develop others.
1: Yeah, look, that's a good question. Um, I will say that, uh, maybe again, and and it's, it's going back to the early days, maybe because I was always used to not necessarily having the nationality from the particular country or fully fitting. I never thought about it too much until later on. Later on, when it became more of a topic um, and and more of a Mm. focus in our society, I would say, Um, I I, I always um, the way I look at it when you sit around a table, and it doesn't matter if you, you know, with your project team around the table or you're in an executive table, um, really thinking about what impact uh, I could make. Right. So I think that Mm. was always an impact to the business, impact to the people, impact, etc. So not necessarily thinking about the, the, the difference in style. So that's kind of the mindset mm. that I start with. Um, yeah. But then at the same time, I do think that people have different, you know, personal styles. It's not always a, a, a gender-based difference, uh, but right. there are different personal styles. And, um, and we all bring different experiences, you know, to the table. I mean, the one thing that I really, really... Um, uh insist on and in, in with our teams along the way our, our company uh, etc is for people to have the equal opportunity to express that around the table because mm. I think that's really mm. important I think you have to have yeah. a, cu- a culture of collaboration a culture where we can hear new ideas you never know where the best idea is going to come from that's the reality
0: <laughs> um, that's right
1: and uh, and I think that needs to be you know everything again from you know, the, the 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 teamwork that we do for clients all the way to all the other types of initiatives and committees and um and management teams that we have uh, in the company so so it's less of a style as much as i think i think the important part is to have those that kind of uh, atmosphere and openness um so that we can capture all that and people can really yeah. uh, express themselves um, you know, I mean there may be a little bit of, of a difference in that you know we all have to manage, you know, things outside work uh in various ways. So so the one thing that I tell you know people from from, from an advice perspective is look at your career in periods mm. of three years at a time. You know, every three years mm. your priorities change, uh the business right. changes, you know, the life situation yeah, changes. changes. Mm. So you know, think okay. Here, are the next three years, what are you know my career goals? Mm-hmm. How do I fit it? What are my personal goals? And you know, you just kind of, as long as you feel like you're advancing in some way um, in every one of those categories, but it doesn't have to be the same pace all the time. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. And
1: I think that's kind of the the constant tweaking um, that can lead you there. You can have a north star. You can have eventually, right. you know. But you, you know, you. I say that you you can. You can accomplish a lot during your lifetime and your career, but you can't accomplish it all at the same time. So you just have to right. figure out, you know, what, what you're focused on when it doesn't mean all either or, but it means that, you know, the percentages and, and um, the attention may be a little bit different.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I heard it recently said that uh, a lot of CEOs, particularly those that maybe you know uh, a decade or so or a generation or so older than you, you know, are are a little bit are, are more comfortable with having their questions answered than their. Answers questioned, <laughs> and and you know sometimes as we know the people that don't speak up sometimes have some of the best ideas. H- how do you kind of create that environment where people, you know, don't have that fear of you know either looking foolish or maybe being called out because it's a dumb question or what have you? Um, you know, even at the executive level.
1: Yeah, look, that's you know that again is is really important. Um, I think there's several things that that one needs to make sure happen. First of all, you know, uh, as as a manager, as a CEO, you need to try to be as transparent as possible, something sometimes mm. like an HR matter may not be something you can share, but really transparent about the goals, what we're trying to reach, you know, yeah. all of that. Um, so so that first people have the same context, really understands. Uh, where we're headed, what we're trying to accomplish. So, you know, we're kind of speaking the same language. Um, then I think, you know, as we set those goals, the strategies, the initiatives, it's very important to get the input. Um, because right. we're not in a world where you can just dictate, here's what we want to do and, and that's yeah. it. I mean, you really want to make sure that there is buy-in. Uh, we thought about right. the different aspects. So I think that process alone is important because then once mm. you have those that exercise and, you know, we put that all together and, and we assess all that and, and, and individuals have had the opportunity to, to provide the, the input, then there's much more buying and it's much easier um, to get those things done.
0: Wow. So that's terrific. Great, great input you know, one of the things that, um, you know, we see so often in organizations is that, you know, some of that information that comes from others can be stifled just because there's an intimidation around. Do you you think a CEO needs to be vulnerable? And and if so, you know, how, how, how do you best do that in an organization while still maintaining, you know, authority and leadership?
1: Yeah. So, especially I think in, in today's world, um, it's not it's not like in the past potentially where you know there was a ceo there was a very formal way of uh, of communicating and there was that big separation you really right. need to be involved and i think it is important um to have a vulnerable side i mean mm. you also have to have a strong side right because yeah. you have to lead and you have to show right. that we right. have confidence and 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 we're it's able, a balance right it's yeah, a, it's a it's tough a right balance to
0: strike yeah yeah
1: but, but the vulnerable side is also important and it's important in two ways. First of all, the compassion piece of it, right. the understanding, especially, I mean, I can only assume here with many CEOs during the COVID time, you, you know, you had to, you have to be able uh, to be part of that, uh, and also sit in the seat of every employee. So, so that vulnerable of piece of it. Yeah. The other piece of it, you know, which relates to the questioning, you know, if some moves are not the right moves or we have to tweak, it's okay to say, Look, we thought yeah. you know this and that, and now we're tweaking. We we looked at this. We we have more input, and right. we're going a little bit in a different direction. And yeah. I think in the end, um, one gets even more respect, um, yeah. right. uh, you know, because uh, no one is perfect. Right. Um, and I think we're all better um, if, if we're able, um, you know, we're able to do that. Uh, and I think a CEO and a leader is better if 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 that individual is able to um, get the input from the management team, but right. really from all individuals, because a lot of the times the best ideas come <laughs> from right. you know employees yeah. that people interact directly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Terrific. Uh, great. Well, a couple of other questions. I know we're almost out of time, but you know, you FDI's consultant has been growing a lot. Your group has been growing. How do you go about, you know, making bets on the people you invest in and hire? You know, what do you look for?
1: So it's interesting. So obviously, people always think skill set, skill set, skill set, or capabilities, and obviously, you know, you have to have, uh, you know, the requirements uh, typically. But it's really about, um, you know, I think the and and this goes back to, you know, what what constitutes a good student and and will good students be successful? So it all relates together. So what what I want to say is that um, you have to, to 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 think about, will this individual fit in our culture? Will right. they collaborate? Yeah. Uh, will they be able to bring their experiences, their skill sets, and thrive here? Because that's that's really, uh, really important. Yeah. The other piece of it is, you know, we put initiatives in place, we put goals, et cetera. Is that individual either entrepreneurial, takes initiative, will be able to run with it? And, and that's in all levels, um, you know, uh, based on, on the particular role. Um, that's the other piece of it. Um, and then, um, and then the third piece, I think that's, uh, that's really important is, you know, uh, you kind of get a sense, you know, when, when you hear about people's experiences, um, and, and what led them to hear, you know, are they excited about this? Is this something that they're really going to go for? So I think, I think these, these three areas, you know, assuming that everything else, um, you know, kind of, uh. We're, you know, is there you know from right. from the the skill set and all that? But I think these are important because the reality is we all learn very quickly in today's right. world, right. and even we the technical, <laughs> even technical areas. Yeah, your job today is not going to be the same twenty four months from now. That's we right. use we bring in new tools, new technologies. So it needs to be a person that's adaptable. Right. Um, I right. think that's uh, that's important. Uh, because, and, and that's eager to continue learning. Um, because I think that's, that's the other piece as well. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm sure, Sophie, by the time that you interview folks, you know, they've gone through a number of other interviews. There have been folks that have done the qualifications testing. You know, there's been some qualifications checking, maybe some assessment testing to see cultural fit and so forth. But, but you know, when when you finally have that conversation and, you know, you have, you know, maybe 35, 40 minutes and it's so hard, of course, to get at, you know, a a deep conversation. You rely a lot on others, right? And, you know, in my recruiting practice, I do the same thing. I've got staff that does a lot of original screening. We go through a lot of background checks. By the time I talk to them, you know, I know that they've got the qualifications and so forth, but I always focus in on a few things that are specific really to the company. What what are the kind of questions that you ask? What's important for you to know after someone comes to you after several rounds of interviews and and they're getting close to that job?
1: yeah that's a really um really really good question so they're kind of i would say three areas that I focus on, you know assuming and after you know making sure that they understand um you know for example f t i technologies uh uh strategy where we're headed right. uh this role. my question to them is how do they see that they will be able to make an impact here yeah. what is mm-hmm. it that they believe they can bring and really kind of uh make happen the second piece of it is Um, you know, just on a personal level, you know, if you fast forward, you know, three years from now, five years from now, where do they see themselves in their career and specifically Mm. within FTI? And then the last piece of it is really more around, you know, managing people, driving people, like where have they contributed from a cultural perspective, from a people perspective, and, and how do they see that component of impact? If I haven't heard that in one of the answers... Uh, The people aspect is is really um, important, and and their kind of philosophy on that side. So I would say those three, those three aspects.
0: Awesome. Well, you've been very, very generous. Thank you so much for your time. We always have one last question we always ask, you know, most of our listeners that say are, you know, kind of late twenties to mid thirties, you know, folks that are mid career, they're taking a look around, maybe they've got aspirations to become a CEO someday. Maybe they're talking about maybe doing something entrepreneurial. What, What kind of career and life advice would you give to someone who maybe has their eyes focused on, you know, getting into the corner office themselves someday?
1: Well, first of all, the interesting thing that I don't know if the corner office is a corner office anymore. It's a little bit different.
0: <laughs> very true. Very true. So it is I the name think, of our podcast, though. I know. I know. But <laughs> it's kind of funny because
1: um, I think the shape is changing. Um, maybe, yeah, you know, it's kind of more a bespoke way. I don't know exactly. But um, right. so I think that piece. But I think I think really, I would say, um, you know, look for something that you're very passionate about. Again, mm. uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's the notion of leading and, 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 you know, whether it's a CEO or, or, or as an executive, um, it's, it's again, that same impact, you know, what impact do you want to make, whether it's to the business, to the people, to the industry, how do you want to shape it? If, if you have that kind of notion, um, and, and how you may want to be get there, I think the rest of the other, the other pieces really fall into place. Um, and the one thing I would say, you know, think about, what are your strengths today? Um, You know, it could be more the technical aspect. It could be more the sales aspect or the Mm. people aspect. And what areas do you want to strengthen um, so that you can have, you know, nobody has everything to the same extent, but you do want to gather along the way, those different aspects um, of of management and um, the ability to then um, be able to, to, to take that business and the people to the next level. Um, Think about what you want to complement. Um, in the next couple of years.
0: Awesome. Sophie Ross, Global CEO of Technology at FTI Consulting. Thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It was great. Great to speak to you and uh, looking forward to maybe meeting in person one day. Thanks. Take care.
0: All the best.